welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hungry Authors Podcast. We are in the middle of working through a series of episodes on the work of getting traditionally published. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of learning from other books and looking at how those books like yours have sold. These are often called competing titles, competitive titles, comparable titles, comparative titles, complementary titles even, (laughs) Um, but we just generally call them comp books. Um, These, you're going to use them in a lot of different ways in your path to getting traditionally published. We're going to cover those ways in just a minute, but you don't want anyone to get too hung up on the terminology of competing or competitive versus comparative and complementary. When you comp your book or compare your book to other books in your genre, they will innately kind of do both of these things. If you're writing a leadership book, it kind of will compete with other leadership books. That makes sense. You're in the same genre. If someone's standing there and they're deciding between two leadership books, it's yours or, you know, somebody else's. But you guys are both probably saying different things in those books. So a lot of what you say will also complement that book. So don't get too hung up on the terminology. These words kind of mean the same thing, even if they sound not the same or even opposed to one another. Comp books just mean comp books that your book will sit beside the shelf of these other books and be like them in some ways and be different from them in some ways. How, how do we think about comp books? I like to use this analogy of a restaurant. So imagine that you walk into a restaurant and there are all these tables where different conversations are happening. So you walk in and you are looking for the table where they're talking about your favorite topic. So if I walk into a restaurant, I'm looking for the publishing table because that's the topic that I am so passionate about and love to talk about and could just talk about it all day. Um, So when you sit down at a table full of people that you may or may not know. Let me ask you this. Do you immediately just jump in with your, you know, ideas and just spouting your opinions about things? If I walk into a restaurant and I plop myself down at the publishing table and I go, Hey guys, guess what? I think blah, 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 blah. I'm probably going to get some weird looks. I'm probably uh, not going to be welcome back at that table. (laughs) So we do not want to do that. Um, You're probably going to get some side eye. You might be asked to leave that table. It's just not kind of the done thing, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you are going to sit down and you're first going to listen to what everyone else is saying. This is like common sense. We know this like socially. We know what to do when we sit down at a table where other people are already having a conversation. We sit down, we listen, we absorb what they're saying. 
we kind of weigh everything that they're saying. We take it into context. We learn the context of everything they're saying. And then we decide, okay, what do I have to contribute that is new and different to this conversation? Where can I agree with somebody? Where can I say, mm, there's like a little bit more nuance that we need to consider. Where can I offer an opposing um, ar argument or where can I, you know, add some value to this conversation. That's what we need to do with books too. Mm -hmm. You can imagine the comp books or like the books that your book would be on the shelf next to as that table. So again, we're not just sitting down at the table and spouting our opinions. We need to read all of the other books that are already on that shelf so that when people look at our book, they can immediately see, oh, here's what this book has to contribute. That's new and a little bit different. You want to read extensively in that topic and in that area that you're writing about so that you know what the audience is already hearing. You want to know kind of what's their background information, what existing knowledge does your audience already have? A lot of the time authors will come to me and say, oh my gosh, this is such a revolutionary idea. And I go, yeah, but there's already five books that say exactly that. Mm -hmm. What is your book going to offer that's new and different? There's a lot of saturation out there in the marketplace. There are millions of books published every single year. And a lot of the same ideas go around and around and around. And so the point of reading extensively on your topic area is to learn what are those ideas that are already going around and around and around and how can I contribute something new and different? So the question pretty quickly comes up when we have these conversations. Well, what if I can't find any comp books? Is that possible? Liz, what do you think? Yeah. Well, so yeah, sometimes when people get a quick uh, definition that we've just, you've just given them now, they'll say, well, my, there, like you said, there hasn't been anything like mine. There isn't any book that would sit beside mine. It's on a shelf of its own. No one has said this. Um, couple things to hit on here. Number one, if you say that to somebody in the industry, they will instantly, uh, <laughs> ignore you. It's a red um, flag. It's sure. a red flag. Yeah. If you say, if, cause one of the first questions you will be asked, whether you engage someone like Ariel and I, who help others get published through ghostwriting or through proposal writing, or you talk to an agent, an agent or an editor, if they're interested in your work. And one of the first questions they will ask you is, uh, either specifically directly about comps, what are the comps for your books or indirectly something like describe your book, which we will talk later about how to do that with comps. But a lot of times what they want to hear in that is what is your book like comp it to something and you say nothing bad idea. It's um, a red flag. So don't say that. Um, but what if you can't find books to comp to? Well, most likely you're just thinking too narrow. Because a lot of people have this first instinct, right? So if you have it, that is okay, but you're probably wrong. You're just thinking too narrow. Your book can compare to others in lots of different ways. First of all, topic. I am sure that you are writing about a topic that exists. Even if your topic is, you know, like my life story. Well, there are lots of life stories written in the world. It's called memoir, you know, and so there, there are, 
you're thinking too narrow. You are thinking probably of somebody who has the exact same take that you have on something that might be unique. And that's great if it is. So broaden a little bit. Think more about genre. Think more about topic. Are you writing about Christian living? Okay, well, there's lots of books about that. Are you writing about leadership? Lots of books about that. You can think even broader than that. What about like comps don't even have to be books. Are there video games? Are there TV shows? Are there podcasts? There's lots of different mediums that compare to what you're doing somehow. You can even think about comps in terms of voice. Who do you want to write like? What kind of audience will be drawn to you because they like somebody else? You know, if you want to be funny, maybe you, you know, a Dave Sedaris audience will will enjoy your work because you are like snarky and sarcastic like he is. There's a lot of different ways structure. Maybe your book is structured, very similar to, to a different book. And, and readers who like that kind of structure of a book will be drawn to your book. There's a lot of different ways to think about to think about comps. So broaden uh, your filters and find comps. Don't say you have none. And then the last thing um, that is probably not true of any of our hunger authors, but if you say nobody has ever done anything like yours is one of a kind in every single way, then maybe you just have a huge ego and too a too high of opinion of your own work. Because listen. There are like hundreds of millions of books in the world. It has probably been said in a similar way. That's just the odds. That's just the odds, <laughs> you know? And so um, bring yourself down a notch. I'm sure you're a great writer with a great idea, but there is somebody who has done it similar. And by the way, that's a good thing. You know, if if you really, really, really don't have a comp, if you have like the craziest, like you want to write a book about black poodles who have dementia like okay yeah that might be a one-of-a-kind idea there might not be any books about that i'm almost sure that there aren't but you know why nobody wants that book it's too small of an audience you might be the only person who wants it so um bring yourself down a notch widen your filters and find books that are similar to yours because that is a good thing we'll we'll get to you know in in a minute why agents and editors want to know that there are books like yours that have sold that's a good thing so don't think of oh my gosh i found this book and it's really similar to mine don't think of that as bad if you find 50 books like that okay well maybe you you know maybe you need a different take on your idea cuz it might you know, it might be overdone, but in general, if there's other books that have done what you're trying to do, that's good. Yeah, exactly. The thing to remember with comp books is that we're trying to find other models for success. We want to know that there is, there is a plan that works that we want to know that this is a book idea that people are really interested in. And yes, publishers want to know that, which is why they require you know, an analysis of comps as part of a book proposal, but also as an author, you want to know that because regardless of how you publish your book, whether you self-publish or traditionally publish, you want to know that there's a recipe for success for this topic, right? All of us want our books to be successful. And the way that we know our book is going to be successful is by looking at other books like ours that have succeeded. 
So Liz is going to talk a little bit about um, comps in a book proposal, but first let's just talk about comps as models for your writing. Stephanie Duncan Smith, who was our guest on our last episode, she talked about this a lot too. That was the very first advice she gave was if you want to write a great book and you want to refine your writing, you need to look at other books like yours and see what you can learn from them and truly analyze the writing itself or when we're struggling to get started with a book, often the very first thing we do is turn to people who have gone before us in some way. Who are those other voices at the table so that we can learn from their example? I know Liz talks often about um, a memoir that she uh, was working on where it was a lot like the memoir made. And so Liz, uh, Liz, you, you read made, you kind of use that as a model for structuring this other memoir that you were working on. Um, for mm -hmm. myself, I'm working on a book right now that has to do with trauma. And so the very first thing that I did was I went out to the store and I bought the book, The Body Keeps the Score, because that's this super well-known um, kind of gold standard book on trauma. And so we are using The Body Keeps the Score as kind of a starting point to help us decide what needs to be in this book. What topics do we need to cover? How do we need to cover them? What are, what's our structure going to look like? How does this author um, frame the introduction to the book? How does this author frame the conclusion of the book? Do they make any points that we need to make sure we mention and build on in some way? Again, looking at our models and using our comps as models for our writing helps us discover the structure, what background knowledge the reader probably has so that we know where we can take them from here. And especially the tone of voice and kind of that common language. So the terminology that gets used in a lot of comps, if you're not speaking the same language, if you're not using the same jargon, if you're not using kind of that, you know, the same terminology as all of the other books out there on your topic, you're going to look like you don't really know what you're doing, right? <laughs> if you're not, if you walk into a conversation and everyone's kind of using these same terms in the same way, and then you use a term in a very different way, um, that might be seen as a bad thing. Um, and so we want to make sure that we truly understand the context, the terms, the, um, those, you know, ideas, those foundational ideas that exist in our topic area that our audience is already going to be familiar with so that we can build on them and, um, and construct something that's really new and unique and valuable from there. Yep. After using comps to structure your book and actually do the writing, you're going to need to use them in a more official capacity when you submit your book idea in some way. That might be in a book proposal. It might be in a query letter or a pitch to an agent. Even just in the way that you talk about your book, if you, you know, are talking to friends or happen to know, know somebody in the industry, you're going to probably elevator pitch them at some point. So first, let's talk about the book proposal. When you write one, there will be a section called comp titles, and you are going to list out at least three, ideally five, probably no more than 10 of these titles. You're going to list it and then describe in a short paragraph, a few sentences, why they comp to your book, how they are similar, how they are different, why the audience of that book will be drawn to your book. Um, in the proposal, so agents and editors are going to want to know 
have books like yours sold well in the past? And is this a topic that customers are hungry for? This is essentially the entire point of the comp title analysis section is you're trying to prove this point to them that they're um, that there is money in it for the editor and agent. I know that's a little gauche for us creative types to address, but publishing is a business and editors and agents only make money if, um, you know, your book sells well, kind of. I mean, it's not like royalty stuff, but what I mean is if they don't pick good books, eventually they're going to lose their job. So they need their books to sell well. You're going to want to look within a few parameters. So ideally, this is ideally, there are going to be exceptions to all of these and Ariel and I have even broken these rules at different points. But if you can find comps that have 500 Amazon reviews or at least a few hundred, but 500 is a good benchmark, that's great. That's kind of a number that says, wow, enough people, you know, not all people who read it are going to go review it only a fraction and so if you've got 500 of them you've got a pretty wide audience reading this book and of course you want those to be pretty decent reviews don't go looking for one that has 501 star reviews obviously um published in the last five years if you comp to something older than that um the they won't see the sales and the topic as relevant because um trends have changed too much um we won't go into this here because there's a lot to it and the nuances of book proposal writing but you know if you wanted to comp to something older you can do that you would just need to really say like you know this is a, a newer version of this you're updating it in some way you're updating a classic in some way don't necessarily refer to like the audience and the sales because it's going to feel outdated but you can say you're updating it in some some classic that sold really well um Let's see what else. Oh, be written for a similar audience. Like I said, or, you know, we talked about finding comps within your same genre. So you can find comps outside of your genre for different reasons to inspire your voice or even to mimic in other ways. But when it comes to the actual book proposal, you only want to put comps in that section that are in your genre. If you're writing a leadership book and you comp it to Harry Potter in some way, that is a bad idea um, for a lot of reasons. Nothing about that is going to give agents and editors any information about how your book is going to sell or the audience, even if, you know, you might feel like you write a lot like J.K. Rowling, but it is irrelevant in this context. Um, yeah, so those are the parameters. So. You're going to um, list those and then, yeah, like I said, write out um, a sentence or two about why it's similar and why it's different. And that's how it's going to look in the actual proposal. And we don't recommend this broadly, but in general, to get a sense of how this is done, you can pretty much just Google like comp title analysis and get a pretty decent Google return on um, on how this looks, obviously, um, you know, to to do it super well you need to study more and maybe even hire a professional but you can get a pretty decent um decent look just with a google return to get a, um, a baseline of how to structure it other ways you'll use this in official capacity so i mentioned a query letter and uh, a pitch so this this is essentially the same thing when you pitch your book idea you do it in a query letter you um will write a query letter um either to accompany your book proposal if you're a nonfiction writer if you're a fiction writer You'll, you'll submit it with your ins, but 
Um, but that's how that goes. So query is much shorter than a book proposal. It's just a couple paragraphs, certainly one page or less that is written to an, an agent to try and get them to represent you. So you're giving them a quick rundown on you and your book idea. And it's um, either you just send that along and they request the proposal or sometimes some agencies request that in addition to the proposal. Uh, okay, so that's your 411 on query letters. So you're probably going to want to use a comp in your query letter somehow in your pitch. This is where it gets kind of fun and sometimes kind of tricky. So we've talked about mimicking your book through the writing. We've talked about writing comp, a comp title analysis in a couple sentences. Now in the query and the pitch, what you're going to want to do is use it, use a comp to describe your book. My book is like this, but X different in this way. Like uh, Ariel and I would describe what we do. It's okay if you guys don't understand this reference, but there is a very popular um, company called StoryGrid, and they help fiction writers write and map out their fiction books. They have a lot of different um, programs and stuff. They might even, do they have a book? I don't even know if they have a book. They do have a book. Okay. Yeah, they've got a great book. It's amazing. Okay. So they've got a book too. So what Ariel, a very simple comp, like example of this is Ariel came up with this, that Hungry Authors is story grid for nonfiction writers. So if you're in the industry and you know story grid instantly, you know what that means. We do exactly that for nonfiction writers. Um, Ariel's working on a, a memoir with somebody who has a, a, is very well, similar to eat pray love but she did something different instead of going around the world she adopted two children so basically so she could say my memoir is like eat pray love but instead of going to three different countries i adopted two children let me tell you what this does you could say i could say about hungry authors um you know we teach nonfiction writers, book mapping, and how to edit, and how to find your big idea, and all this stuff. I could describe it in a paragraph. But instead, if I say we are story grid, but for nonfiction, it is, well, first of all, it's brief, which is great, especially in a query and a pitch, like brevity is always, in, in honestly, in all kinds of writing and in publishing in general, if you can, the, the uh, shorter, the fewer words you can use, the better. So it's that. It also just brings it to life in a much more vivid way. My memoir is Eat, Pray, Love, but instead of going around the world, I adopted two children. What do you instantly know? You know, it's a book about self-discovery. You know, this woman starts out struggling in some way and her solution to self-discovery isn't traveling the world. It's adopting two children. You know, she's going to learn a lot. You know, you know, a lot, right? Probably a lot more than if she says, you know, I was going through this divorce and I was struggling and I wanted to be a mom. And so I went to Bulgaria and I adopted these two children. That's fine. You'll be asked to write a synopsis in different circumstances, but it's not as vivid, right? It's not as interesting, it's not as cinematic. It also has the benefit, again, of anchoring this, anchoring that book, whichever book you come to, it anchors it in the mind of an edit, an editor, an agent, or anyone in the industry of what that book 
did in the past, the audience, how well it's sold. Like, you know, I sometimes write about grief. This is, um, you know, not anything official. Like I'm not <laughs> writing a book or pitching it to anybody. But if I were to write a book, maybe I would say, I want to write a funny version of modern loss. Or I'd heard of a book one time that was pitched as there's, you know, the funny, the, the children's book, Go the F to Sleep, that's like a mega bestseller. I one time read a pitch that was like, I'm writing a clean version of that. Okay, like, perfect. You're comping to a book in your genre. You're just differentiating in some way and you're bringing it to life instead of spending minutes describing it or sentences describing it. Okay, Ariel, anything else to add on that? No, I think that's that's exactly right. It's just using this you know, using your comps as a shortcut tells an editor in the most concise way possible, exactly what to expect. It says, my book is going to be successful, just like this one. My book is going to be widely recognized, just like this one. My book is going to appeal to the same audience. It's going to have a similar tone and affect on the reader. And it's going to be generally this type of story. Boom. And you've just said all of that in literally like 10 words, which is pretty incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Comp books are amazing. They are one of the most underutilized tools, you know, for in the industry, honestly. I mean, sometimes even before you have a fully formed idea, if you start with comps, you know, you know, your genre, you want to write on a certain topic, in perhaps you start reading within your genre, you can start even there to form your idea and start thinking like, oh, I want to write again, like a, a version of this that's like this, different in this way. Oh, they, they, they didn't cover this. Oh, but I want to write it for a different audience. Oh, but I want to write it in a different tone. Oh, but I want to give it a twist like this. Start to think in comps if you can. Yeah. It takes some practice, but it, it's kind of fun and it's very helpful um, Yeah, when it comes time to, to do the work of traditional publishing, to talk about your book within the context of other books, which you will be asked to do. Yeah. Um, and it just makes you sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> like it just makes you sound well-read, like you have command of, of your genre and what you're doing here. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit with Kent Sanders too. We were talking about how, if you have a really great idea, um, like, you know, kind of like how with food, often there will be all of these like spinoffs, like you've got Doritos, but then you've got like ranch and then you've got all of these other like specific kinds and you've got flaming hot Doritos and you've got all these different kind of variations on Doritos. Right. And you can do that with a great idea that you come up with, but you can also do that with a great idea. Someone else came up with, yep. if you can say like me and Liz, oh, well there's story grid, which is so fantastic for fiction writers, but there's nothing like story grid for nonfiction writers. So mm-hmm. let's create it. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of this, you know, this comes from for us, or, you know, you see out there, oh, someone is doing this amazing thing but I could do it in a slightly different way for this underserved audience and make these changes. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to fill this need over here. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of great ideas come from is by looking at those comps, by looking at the market and seeing where can I adapt something to fit into something else in a new, better way. On the topic of ideas, we are hosting another masterclass this month. It's April right now. 
Our next masterclass is going to be April 19th. That's a Wednesday. It's from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. We would love to have you there. We're going to be talking about how to find your big idea. And we're going to be talking about a, a lot of things just like this. How do you narrow down something that may feel really big into something that's really marketable? How do you balance your passions and the things that you really, really want to say with something that, you know, other people will want to hear? Mm -hmm. Where do you look? If you honestly know that you want to write a book, but you're not sure what to write about. Um, how do you narrow down lots of different ideas? How do you decide which idea you should start with and which one you should save for later? We're going to be talking about all of these kinds of questions in our masterclass on April 19th. So if you'd like to join us, it's $49. And like I said, it's two hours. These masterclasses are very interactive. So everyone who comes, we want to actually give you feedback on your ideas. If we have a lot of people, we'll, we'll break out into breakout rooms. Um, all of our masterclasses are on zoom. They're a lot of fun, super interactive. And so if you want some feedback on your big idea, cause you're not sure that it's going to work for a book come on April 19th, and we will make sure that you leave with an answer and with some direction and next steps. That's coming up on April 19th. And after that, we are going to start talking a lot about a beta version of a course we're creating. So one of the foundational pieces of Hungry Authors that a lot of you have heard about before and probably even taken our masterclass, it was our first one, is uh, book mapping. So this is the workshop. We've taught live workshops. We've done it one-on-one. -on -one. Of course, we've taught the masterclass. Uh, it's foundational to everything we do is book mapping, how to map out your nonfiction book. Basically story grid for nonfiction. It's story grid for nonfiction. <laughs> That's right. Um, have you heard of it? Um, we are creating a course out of this. Um, it is like the masterclass on steroids. And in order to do that, we are going to beta test it with some people. So starting in June, uh, we're going to run right now. It's looking to be about a four week um, beta test of it. We're going to send you videos and do weekly videos and, and just have some people test out the material. It's going to be really high touch. You're going to have a lot of access to us. We're going to give you feedback on your idea. Um, we're looking for a small cohort. We are going to cap it because we're going to be giving so much feedback and giving people so much personal attention. We're going to cap it. We're probably around 20 right now. We're still working out some of the details, but it's looking to be about 20 right now. Cost is going to be $199. This will be the lowest it will ever be. We're going to sell the course for a lot more than that. Um, and we charge to do this for like one-on-one -on -one with people. We charge thousands of dollars. Um, so this is a really exclusive offer to get a lot of feedback from us for a week on your book and mapping it out in exchange for um, feedback on the material. We're going to be asking for your input on how it's going, what you're struggling with, if you're successful and have some wins, we'll, we'll be asking for some testimonials and some uh, just use of the material. So yeah, just be on the lookout for that. I want, we want to like put this bug in your ear so you can be thinking about it. It's gonna start in June. We'll be letting people sign up soon, probably certainly in May. Um, yeah, so if you're interested in that, stay tuned. It's again, it's. The, the only time we will ever do something like this because it's um, it's so low for 
the offer that we're doing it. Um, yeah, so we're really excited. So stay tuned. Yeah, and you can sign up for either the Big Idea Masterclass mm -hmm. or this beta version of our book mapping course on our website, hungryauthors.com. So anything um, that you're interested in, want to know more details, go to hungryauthors.com and you will find everything you need to know. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.